Welcome, everyone, to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, with my permanent guest, Cammy. Hey there, Cammy. Hey, Bryant. How are you? I'm doing good. How's it going for you? Great. We're rolling through summer and having a good time. Uh, we just recently recorded a fun episode that's coming up next week with some friends. Please stay tuned for that from uh, a podcast that we used to run ads for. Will this be on the test? Um, we're doing an episode on a famous cryptid. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But today on Mystery, you know, pulling stories, legends, myths, talking about them. This one's a little different from our usual bunch uh, as of late. We're talking about uh, a Mongolian noblewoman. I was trying to think of the right word. But that's the best way to put it. Uh, her name is Kutulun. And she, what, Cammy, why is she so interesting in a nutshell? Or, do you, or sh- should you just roll into the story? I mean, maybe, but she was a woman who knew what she wanted, Mm -hmm. and she wasn't going to let anyone stand in the way of that. It's really cool. So Cammie picked this idea after I was telling her. I've been listening to this uh, A Great Courses um, segment by Craig Benjamin called The Mongol Empire, and I listened to a book about Chinggis Khan a long time ago. That's how he pronounces it, um, and how how, um, Craig Benjamin recommends you say it, Chinggis why this woman is so great directly has to do with the Mongolian, I mean, cultural atmosphere. So uh, this, there's a fun story around her that Cammy's got that basically puts her into a legendary status. And there's even more that goes further. But Cammy, why don't you go ahead and hit us with a story of Kutulun? Sure. So I used an online, online source, archive.org, the travels of Marco Polo, the Venetian, and... This was taken directly from Everyman S. Library, and it was edited by Ernest Reyes. During the reign of the great Kaidu Khan, there were many suitors who wished to marry his daughter. His kingdom was vast and his lineage strong. The great-grandson of Chinggis Khan was eager to have his daughter find a husband, but there never lived a woman less interested in marriage. He persuaded the princess to devise a game by which she could find an appropriate man to bring into the family. Her passion was hand-to-hand combat, so she chose to wrestle any man who wished to be her husband. The stakes were high on both sides. The men must wager 100 of their horses, and she would wager her love. And a proclamation was made. Men came from all over the world to try to best her, bringing their fortune and horses with them, so that they may pay the price should they lose. Marco Polo witnessed her prowess for himself and said she had more than 10,000 horses from her games. He said that she was so large and strong that many thought her not to be a woman at all, but a giant. One day, a beautiful son of the king of Pamar came with 1,000 horses behind him to challenge the princess. The great Khan wanted nothing more than than the strapping young prince to become his son-in-law. He pleaded with the princess to just this once let the boy win but the princess would have none of it. She wrestled him in the great hall, always a move ahead of the prince. And with the last bit of strength he had, he tried to free himself from the woman as she picked him up and threw him to the hard ground. Seeing that no man, not even a beautiful and rich man with a powerful family could entice her, Khan decided to make his daughter a soldier and had her ride beside him into battle. There was never another in the whole army who could show as much bravely. Bravery... Is Kutalun. Nice. Damn. Yeah. So this is, as you said, her her dad, Kaidu, was the grandson 
of Ogede Khan, who was the son of Chinggis Khan, or Temujin is, is his name. So they're really, really directly clo- like related to Chinggis Khan. And by this point, this is so she was born around 1260, and at this point, so Chinggis is gone, of course, but uh, the empire is huge. It's massive. Ton- tons of parts of China, West Asia, Persia, Iran. I think at this point they'd already killed like uh, European knights in Hungary and stuff like that. So empire is massive. Kaidu's um, part of the, uh, the, 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 the empire was very uh, traditional and nomadic still. Um, and I think Kutulun kind of comes directly from that because on one in China, you've got Kublai Khan, which a lot of people know, and his, his uh, empire was very, they call it like sinicizing, like uh, be, being very similar to the, the Chinese, like getting enveloped into the philosophy and things like that, kind of going away from steppe culture, nomadic life, going into sedentary, but not Kutulun. She, like horses were capital. She knew it was important. And and in fact, like from the book, uh, The Great Courses from Benjamin, they mentioned too that marriage is really important too. Like that it was just like how you'd expect like, you know, an English king to marry off his daughter for political reasons. It was similar for the Mongols. So Kaidu's strong, important daughter getting married to someone strong and important was the, was the idea. But she, the, the women in the steppe culture were just as important because – it was. I, I, it reminds me of Viking culture. We, I think we mentioned this before on some of our Viking episodes. So when you're Viking or when you're a nomadic, you know, Mongol, you're you're off doing. You're off Viking. You're off doing nomadic Mongol stuff. You're gone. But someone's got to be home taking care of your your livestock, your horses, because that's literally like your wealth. And someone's got to. You've got to have someone in charge, and that would be your wife. And so it was really cool to see when I was going through this course and seeing through Kudalun. It it was. Like in China and, and other parts of Asia, women were not they, – they were as you'd see them in like European culture. They, they wouldn't be given positions of leadership. Uh, they weren't important in that regard um, except you know some of the greater uh, people that were able to kind of get through all that. But not nomadic culture. So Kudalun was right at home being out there. And there's a few things that sort of led to this story getting so big. Um, and you mentioned uh, Marco Polo, who everyone I'm sure knows. But there's actually another big – uh, account from this time. The the course that I listened to talked about this guy a lot. Rashid al-Din was another a huge source. He is uh, a, a Persian. He was a man born to a Persian Jewish family who eventually converted to Islam. Islam um, was one of the big religions in all of the Khanate empire. And he he was this dude was very prolific. He was actually uh, executed later because he was uh, accused of poisoning uh, one of the like ill Khanate, like smaller Khanate kings. I, I'm sure that there was some crazy stuff around it. But he, his writings were absolutely phenomenal. He wrote so much and he was asked to write so much. He knew like Chinese, Persian, Mongolian. He was, he was so fluent in all the languages. He was one of the perfect like administrators for this time. And his writings um, talk about Kutulun uh, extensively and, and they corroborate with Marco Polo. Marco Polo, too, he, you know, when he was young, he ended up going to, like, I think he was like 17. He joined his dad and uncle and ended up getting there. And then for like uh, almost 20 years, he was actually like an administrator of some kind for the con. And he actually had like eyewitness accounts of this wrestling that he saw. 
Now, sadly, he doesn't actually talk about what happens to her, but Rashid al-Din mentions that she fell in love and married a Mongol ruler in Persia. There's there's some other references. Other sources state that she eventually did get married, but it's it's kind of interesting. We don't know exactly what happened, which I'm kind of surprised because she was so important. I, I figured we would have kind of known about that. Today in Mongol culture, the the Mongolian Empire is still sort of revered. I, I we we know we hear a lot out of the bad, but we've got to also look at the the what uh, Benjamin called the Pax Mongolica, which was like when the Mongol Empire was at its biggest, the the movement of culture and people was like phenomenal. The trade routes were open. You could have people like Marco Polo walking like from Rome into Persia, you know, within a matter of years, pretty like unmolested. And so it was. There was a lot of of cultural exchange and a lot of just uh, I guess like globalization is it really occurred at this point in a way that it would we wouldn't have happened until like the 1900s. So it was really cool to kind of see that. And there was there was something else later. Um, there is did you come across? I I wonder if it's pronounced Tarando or Tarandot. I imagine it's Tarando. Started by Giacomo Puccini. Um, and it was, but he died while writing it, and it was later um, completed by Franco Alfano in 1926. It is said that Coutelune is the basis of this character. Francois Petit Delacroix, 1710 Book of Asian Tales. That's where it is. That's okay. So, Francois Petit Delacroix, 1710 Book, which is later turned into an opera. That's what it was. So, in the 1710 Book, yeah, so there's a 1710 book of Asian tales and fables, and there's a story um, in which Cthulhu is called Tarando. A per- oh, yeah, it's okay. a Persian no, word. I, I uh, it's like a, a, a corruption of a Persian word, meaning a Central Asian daughter. And she is in the story, uh, the 19-year-old daughter of Altun Khan, in the, the Mongol emperor of China in this fictional story. So she doesn't wrestle uh, in this, but she does. Uh, she has them answer three riddles, and they're executed if they cannot solve them. So it's a little more pizzazzy, I guess. I don't know. I, I guess that in a fable, if she wrestled, that would sound a little ludicrous. So that's this 1710 story. You know, this is like four, 300 years later. Uh, finally kind of gets around um, and then later becomes an opera, which is kind of the most famous version of this. I imagine that Francois Petit would have gotten this, the idea from Marco Polo. So I'll, I'll kind of go back to him again because Marco Polo eventually made it back uh, to Venice, but he was captured by Genoa, who was the rival of Venice. He was imprisoned. And while he was in prison, his like cellmate wrote down his story and it was later published and and put out there. And in the story, or in my uh, the great courses from Benjamin, he talks about this and mentions how like nobody believed him. And he so he was actually um, Marco Polo was blind at this point, and that's why he had to dictate it out. But he 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 told the story, and it was funny because like he he would talk about the way they acted and and where he was. But there was already these kind of stereotypes of like tea drinking, silk wearing, you know, uh, Easterners. He he mentioned those kind of people, but he also mentioned the Mongols as they are. And and there were a lot of Mongols in China. You know, the Yuan Empire was the Mongol the Mongol controlled part of China from Kublai Khan. But it, it was very like culturally Chinese in a lot of ways too, the way they had administration and stuff like that. But uh, Marco Polo talked about this, but nobody believed him. But it ended up being like a bestseller. And so I don't know what there isn't like a lot on the the original 
tale and fable from uh, Francois Petit de la Croix. But I, I would imagine this kind of sounds like the 1001 Nights to me, you know, where it's literally, I mean, it's a bunch of tales from that area too that are kind of mixed up. And that kind of got famous around that time. So I imagine that's kind of where Francois got those ideas and then it just kind of went in. It blew up because of Francois. This play eventually also sort of brought it up. And that's it. I mean, uh, we, we do know that she existed because of the, the, the corroborated writings of Rashid al-Din and Marco Polo, as well as other sources. That's The, Mong- the Mongols were definitely uh, liked writing stuff down. In fact, like they used it as propaganda. There's the secret history of the Mongols, which sort of helped like create a backstory that was more favorable for them in a lot of ways. But uh, Kudalan was really famous. Um, and there, there's I don't know if you've ever seen the show Marco Polo on Netflix. Mm-mm. Okay, it's it's quite good. I I watched it several years ago, like two or three years ago. I find I... it extremely frustrating because yeah, <laughs> when I was trying to find the primary source of Marco Polo actually writing this down, the the first kept like, up. couple of pages on Google were <laughs> yeah. And if you Google Kutalon, you're gonna see uh, the actress who plays her um, and does an excellent job. Claudia Kim plays her in the series, and I highly recommend the series. It's really good. It it, it was trying to match game of thrones's energy mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways it succeeded sadly they stopped it after two or three seasons because of the budget and just they they just didn't see it kind of go in there i remember trying to rewatch it during the beginning of the pandemic and i the beginning was a little cheesy um okay i think it's like I I enjoyed watching it as a whole. It's the 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 set pieces are great and the actors that they've got on it are great. The guy who plays Marco Polo is is really awesome guy. But I just remember the beginning being a little cheesy. I really do recommend trying it out though. You do get to see the wrestling match. In fact, Marco Polo like kind of has like a love treat with her in this. I don't know how, like if that would have worked out age wise and things like that. He might have been some old like governor at that point. But um, it was it was still a really cool look at the mongol empire a lot of what i know of a lot of what i heard of from this great courses was really well exemplified in the netflix show so totally recommend it and then if if you ever like i got it free through the library app hoopla it's a great course called the mongol empire it, it was actually it's only 11 hours which is kind of short for the great courses they're like 16 plus usually and this one was really fun it was just very bite-sized bits the mongols were absolutely crazy they weren't just like wild killers they they like trading was like how they got you. <laughs> Once they started trading with you, it was over. But Cami, I'm glad that you wanted us to touch on this. I think this is one that isn't talked about too much, and I'm sure there's a few other stories from here. We I thought about talking about the the the, the Tengerism, which is like the religion of the Mongols, the original origin for Genghis Khan and things like that. But this was a really cool story, and I think uh, a lot of people who have heard or seen the Netflix show will be really familiar. And it's it's just cool to know. It's it's true. In the Netflix show, she wrestles, she gets a hundred horses. Um, Cammy, thank you for your story. Everyone thank you, Brian. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad I got to listen to one of these books and it actually kind of worked out for for a while. So let us know what you think. Have you have you watched the show? Let us know what you think of that. Um, let me know if you have any suggestions for any future shows. Do tune in next week. We've got a guest episode, like I said, uh, with the Will This Be on the Test podcast, which was really fun. That'll be a cryptid show. All right, guys. Uh, we will see you next time. Oh. Oh.